You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, so it wasn't so long ago, actually, that we saw an introduction of the commissioner of a children's commissioner in South Africa, which is really great to welcome news uh, by many of us. Uh, Christina Nombo, Nomdo is the CAPES commissioner of children, and that introduction, I think, to our society was something we were all looking forward to. It's been maybe six months that she's been in office, so we just thought we should catch up with her and see how things are going. So it is really my pleasure to uh, welcome the commissioner with us this afternoon, uh, Christina Nomdo. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Well, let's ask you how you're doing. We are well. And <laughs> and I ask that because, my goodness, so much has happened in the time that you've been in office. I think, uh, I don't know if you anticipated this kind of a year, but it's been a lot. And I wonder how has your office experienced this time? Well, uh, it's always a stressful time for children in our province or in our country at large. They are inundated with many challenges. This year has been particularly challenging for children, they have told me. I've reached out to them during the COVID lockdown, and uh, I've actually conducted a research under the auspices of the National Planning Commission, where I first served as Child Rights Specialist Commissioner. Mm and asked them how they were coping with the hard lockdown. Yeah. They related to me that they were taking quite some strain mm-hmm. because, of course, we sent them messages, and I framed the messages as, death is at your door. Do you remember when we were all told, <laughs> stay inside, stay inside? Mm-hmm. And so children took this very much to heart mm-hmm. and, and felt the social isolation very keenly. Mm. They miss their friends, mm. they miss their school, they miss their family, and they were really worried about being vectors of the disease, mm. uh, you know, infecting loved ones mm. at home. Mm. They were worried about going out to school. Why should they transition first? Uh, and the transition was very hard for them. And I appealed during this time over and over to parents teachers, all types of support systems for children to give them additional love and care during this time because they were very brave. They they almost had to face the pandemic yeah. ahead of most of us, mm-hmm. and they did that so well, and, and we're very proud of them. Can I just ask, for the benefit of all of us that are listening today, what is the mandate of the Children's Commissioner? Well, uh, I'm an oversight mechanism constructed as a constitutional institution. Mm -hmm. So I, in the Western Cape now, since I started on the 1st of June, Mm -hmm. am the Commissioner for Children who must protect and promote the rights, needs and interests of children in the province. Mm -hmm. And the social cluster is whom I have responsibility for. So Mm -hmm. that's the Department of Education, Health, Social Development, Cultural Affairs and Sport. And so I have sort of clusters of of Mm. powers and duties, as Mm. it were. Let's call it an information gathering power and duty, which includes monitoring the impact of government services, policies and laws, and pointing out the negative impacts on children, investigating complaints about government services and making recommendations, researching policy or practice developments that affect children. Mm. So that's sort of my information gathering cluster. Mm. Then what I need to do with that information, I need to educate and lobby 
with decision makers. Mm. And for me, in the child rights arena, the main decision makers in children's lives are actually their parents. Mm. And only secondarily, government has a role to play when parents are unable or unwilling to fulfill their full duties. So a lot of my work is about working with parents to understand the child rights approach. Mm. And um, I also lobby, of course, with, with those government players in local, provincial and national government sometimes um, to to enable systems and services to work better for children. Then I have a formal duty. I'm sorry, I'm, no, I'm no, no. almost done. It's, it's good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> I'm s- can you imagine um, a job description written, <laughs> written up in a law? It's quite intimidating, isn't it? And you can't cut corners. I yeah. have to tell you the yeah. full mandate. Yeah. So uh, the last uh, uh, two are uh, advise and recommend. So I have to formally give advice to government. Mm. And they have to formally respond to my advice, mm. telling me why they can or cannot implement the recommendations I have made. And then my personal favorite uh, is that I need to connect with children on a daily basis. Mm. So child participation in governance is one of my strongest skill sets. And that's what I do very happily every mm. day. You know, um, I think a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk of child-headed homes because of HIV and AIDS and so on. And it was something we spoke about regularly. That's kind of gone a bit quiet, but that, that still remains with us, doesn't it? And and talk to me about that and what the pandemic has presented to those particular families. Well, uh, to be honest, I didn't draw that out in my research, mm. so I wouldn't be able to talk authoritatively about mm. that issue sure. from a research perspective, sure. from an evidence perspective. Sure. Because as you will know, uh, you know, access to children and homes and families were, was very difficult during the pandemic. Mm. And I, in fact, conducted that entire research countrywide via WhatsApp. Mm. So I provided questions via organizations to the parent beneficiaries and parents would interview their children about their thoughts, feelings and experiences of lockdown. And they would send the children's voice notes back to me. Mm. And so I have 142 uh, sets of data from children (laughs) from whom I could draw their experiences of lockdown. And and that's why I could tell you those stories about Mm. how stressed they were. What was primary um, of a, a primary concern to the children? I mean, I think we sometimes assume we know, but what, what was it that they, they were the most concerned about? I think it's the mental health issues, mm. the, uh, the mental health issues, that social isolation, mm. and then worried about infecting loved ones, mm. um, and also death, you know, sure. worried about having to face and deal with death within your family is quite daunting for any child of any age. Mm. And so we, we learned a lot of hard lessons, but I think um, a positive thing that's come out of this is that we've almost shaken a bit that stigma on mental health and wellness. Yeah. Because all of us came out and said, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed. We feel the, you know, the panic of, of this pandemic that's... Uh, holding us hostage in our homes. So all of us reconciled with the fact that we have uh, negative emotions that sometimes interfere with how life 
can function normally. And mm. so I think our empathy and compassion for each other grew during that time. We're going to draw from you and what you know because um, we talk a lot about children in, in media spaces. We speak, we report a lot on children, but we can't speak directly to them for, for other reasons um, to protect them. Do children feel properly represented or heard? Well, this is uh, one of the big things that makes my, I think, particular interest so special in this country. We, in this country particularly, but also in other countries, you know, uh, we, we run children's rights by three Ps, protection from harm, provision of service for well-being, and participation in all decisions that affect your life. Mm-hmm. We do very badly at engaging and enabling children to participate in decisions that affect their lives. Mm. And this is, there are two reasons for this. One is that we have very set power hierarchies in our society. Mm. They're in our homes, they're in our society, in mm. our community structures, mm. and children are almost seen to be subhuman. Mm. They don't qualify for personhood. They don't qualify for human rights in the same way as other adults do. We as adults believe that we want to keep that children in that inferior position so that we can have authority and control over them. So we have to shake that mindset because children accede to legal personhood from birth. They are humans, equal humans to the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I always say children are people too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds as if it's something that's quite fat, but it's a mindset that we struggle with in South Africa. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we struggle with, of course, is that violence is ubiquitous for children. Mm-hmm. Violence is in their homes, mm-hmm. violence is in their schools, violence is in their communities. They see it on the media. It is a constant reality that they have to face. And it's very difficult for them because, you know, let's take the violence in the home, for example. If they witness violence in their home, between their primary caregivers. Mm -hmm. You can just imagine the traumatic effect that has on the emotional and physical, even sometimes, development of that child. And they sometimes develop mental health illnesses because of seeing that violence. And then they transmit it into the next generation. They take that burden, that trauma with them because we are not willing to work on our emotions and our experiences of violence in this country. We are not willing to face up to the fact that children are equally victimized by gender-based violence. They are co-victims in gender-based violence in our homes. And we need to shine the spotlight on we are doing damage in the formative years of a child. And we are going to see that result repeatedly generation after generation. So, to what extent do the specific children we're speaking about now who witness violence, because unfortunately it's in every corner of our society, in, in the home, you know, everywhere, um, are we seeing that they are now starting to adapt in, in the sense that they are seeing it as normal? We have become so violent that it's part of what looks normal. To what extent are children now seeing violence as normal and okay? 
Well, you know, it, it didn't start from this generation's yes, children. It started sure. from your generation, my generation, mm. the generation before that. Mm. And we can see we, we are reaping the fruits mm. of that culture right now. We are one of the most violent societies in the world. Mm. And so we need to start with prevention. We need to break that cycle of violence as soon as possible. And so a lot of my work as the Western Cape Children's Commissioner is going to have heart-to-heart talks with parents about the situation that they, they create in their homes for their children um, and the negativity that goes around with that and appealing to them to please protect their children, to please be positive forces in their children's life, to please encourage the children to believe in themselves. Because we know from theory on violence that you need to decrease risk and increase resilience in every setting for the cycle of violence to break. Mm. In a society that you're saying doesn't see children as, as human, uh, with human rights, who then should the children be turning to? Because we are now seeing it. We're seeing that nobody listens really truly to children anymore. Who should these children be lis- uh, to turning to? Well, that is a big challenge that I've taken on in terms of modeling child participation practices. Mm. So in my office, for example, since the first day in office, I'd already connected with children's activists, children Mm. who are activists. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you one example. It was the three girls from Elsie's River High who wrote letters to the president to ask for the restart of the school year in 2021. Mm. So they're activists. Mm. You know, they they have a position. They put their position to a decision maker. They're activists. They Mm. came on board as some of the first government, child government monitors in my office. Mm. And since then, I've recruited via nominations from children's organizations, via self-nominations. Children approach me and say, Mm. we want to work with you. (laughs) Um, I also move around from community to community to ask communities of children to nominate a representative that will form part of the children's government monitors. And so their role is to help me with the governance of my office, but also to inform my monitoring role. So to tell me of their lived experiences Mm. and to tell me of service feedback that they have. And so this is a very empowering uh, project. uh, If if I would say, Mm. I don't want Mm. to call it a project Mm. because it really will be a feature of my office. Mm. One, I will go out and talk from community to community, starting with the most disenfranchised and remote communities. Four weeks ago, I went to the Matsikama district, which is on the border of the Northern Cape. Four weeks ago, in pandemic, in lockdown, Mm. I went to those remote communities to have conversations with children and their parents. Mm. And so you will see me doing that because I believe parents are our first child rights champions. And they must be encouraged to play their role. And children must be encouraged to be activists and must be encouraged to claim their voice in our society. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to ask children to have a voice in such a dangerous society. Um, We battle with it. I think you and I battle with it when you have a voice and it's too loud sometimes. 
the world can be unkind. So, so let me let me take a quick break, Commissioner, and then also welcome calls 011-714-2006, as well as um, WhatsApps on 0614-104-107. Your comments, your questions around children, this is the time, Commissioner of Children. She is currently based in the Western Cape, but I think it's very, very important for us to have a national conversation around that. I'll take those calls in a short while. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. We're in conversation with the commissioner, the children's commissioner this afternoon, Christina Nomdo, and uh, she's currently based in the Western Cape, but uh, I think her office is just so, so important and uh, something that we need to be discussing now. And I said I will I welcome your calls on 011-714-2006, or you can send a WhatsApp note on 0614-104-107. Commissioner, back to your point before we went to the ad break about encouraging children to be activists. I I want us to talk about what that means and Mm. how Mm. we are going to Mm. protect the children who we are encouraging to be vocal in a society that has intolerance of a difference of opinion. So they are protected by me. These are child government monitors that work directly with me. Mm. They speak with me. They, They work from the platform of my office. I have a connection with each and every child government monitor's parent. Mm-hmm. So their parent is a positive force in their life. Their parent encourages them. Um, their parent uh, also supports the work that we do as activists together. Mm-hmm. And they, they have this safe, protected platform with me directly. Mm-hmm. So they use my office as a platform to amplify their voice. And we've been very successful to do that because just in the last week, for example, they uh, worked with me to develop a list of priorities prior to reporting that they sent to the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child. They've submitted four topical pieces on how secondary education is a youth development mechanism to the African peer review mechanism. Mm-hmm. I'm currently busy writing up their input to be tended tomorrow towards the new Children's Act. So if we work in partnership with children, if there are good adults, trusted, professional, ethical adults who are also child rights activists who work in partnership with children, I think those protection measures are very, very strongly in place. And I appreciate your, you bringing that up. So in a society that, that has to function, we need more of you. We need to multiply you without having that office, right? So I need to be doing exactly what you're doing in my space and so on and so on. And, and maybe that's where the question is. It's not only the children in your office that need to be protected. It is all of us encouraging all the children to have a voice. As we said, we need to give them a voice and to allow them to be vocal. But we also need to protect them. What will it take for this society to get to a point where we have the kind of safety net that you have for the children in your office? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. It is, it'll take quite some effort mm-hmm. because we started this conversation Um, recognizing that in South Africa we are broken. Mm. We are broken by the violence that we've experienced. Mm. So we in ourselves need to heal ourselves. And that's the call I make to parents and adults first. First, heal yourself. Mm. You cannot be a resource to a child 
cannot be a proper support and guide to a child if you are not well. So become well. Then find that resilience and positivity within you and make it overflow Mm. into your house, into your children, into the children of your family. Speak positivity into their lives so that they can also understand that they are worthy. You know, self-worth is very strongly linked with dignity rights in the Constitution. And children don't feel that they are worthy, that they also have equal dignity rights to the rest of us. So we must promote that with our children. And then we need to build, of course, proper skills. I'm in this field for 30 years. Mm. It's not everybody that has the aptitude or the attitude Mm -hmm. to work correctly with children. Mm -hmm. It is a skilled profession. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you can do something as an adult to be an influence of the children of your life, but to be able to talk to children and provide them with a platform for their voice, to always have a protection mechanism in place, uh, to be skilled at counseling, to be skilled at mentoring, to be skilled at drawing out opinions without making them feel as if you are dictating to them. Those are skill sets that are built over time. Mm. And so I think that we just need to, like you say, multiply. Mm. So I get the sense that we as society have failed our children. And with all that we've done um, and, you know, in the brokenness that we are, from when you speak to them and the feedback that they're giving you, Are they hopeful? Are children hopeful? You know, that is the one big thing that I love about working with children. They are perpetually hopeful. Mm. They're always wanting the next adventure, wanting to learn more, curious about how the world can change, wanting to be a change agent in the world. And so these authentic engagements with children will really affirm their agency and their citizenship. And it's, it, it's within them. We just need to be able to give platforms so that in my office, my slogan is hashtag little voices must count. Oh. So we need to give platforms for them to raise their voices. Mm. Let's take those calls. I said I was going to wake up, uh, welcome calls, um, Commissioner. And we've got one coming from Mandla in Subuging. Mandla, good afternoon. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for calling, Mandla. Thank you. Go ahead, Mandla. Yeah, I wanna I wanna add about uh, the children's rights. Mm-hmm. We as adults, firstly, we are not um we we not ourselves. We do not understand our existence, who we really are, and how connected are we to these children. Remember, at some point, I was a child, and since I'm a grown up. I want to move away from that point that I was a child. That will never run away from my existence. It's part of me. If I fully understand that and have peace, have made peace with the fact that I was a child and it's part of growth, it's easy for for an adult to relate with every children and automatically it reminds me that they also have rights which is very important. Their rights are important and powerful. And, and, And again, Adults, I think we are scared of who we really are. That is why we want to intimidate children not to, 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 to be who they are, to speak their mind, you see. Amanda, Let's take a voice note before I come back to you, Commissioner. 
Hello, uh, SAFM. Thank you for the for the topic. But my advice, uh, um, my name is Sam Kutase in uh, Limpopo. My advice is that um, uh, because what I've noticed now, every child is gotten an iPhone, and um, and to me it is uh, quite um, dangerous. I, I just wish the parents can have a way to monitor and, uh, as you are talking about protecting our children, because uh, every child has got a phone and it is quite dangerous to me. I wish we can try as parents to monitor more of that because of this social media and everything where children can be exposed with. Thank you very much. Uh, from Sam in Limpopo. Thank you. Commissioner, let's start with that particular voice note. Is technology a threat for children? (laughs) I think that um, advancements in our society can only be a threat if we are not prepared. If we we don't have the skills, we don't understand it, we we have um, discomfort with the technology, and you will know that the children are natives. They are natives in that world. Mm-hmm. We, myself, I can't talk for you, I don't know you, uh, <laughs> born before computers, but they, they, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an extra arm, it's an appendage, mm-hmm. it's part of their body, it's mm-hmm. a limb. Mm-hmm. So, so I say that, yes, we need to protect children by providing them with skills and information about what they will encounter online and how to deal with what they will encounter online. Children need that values base, that sense of belonging, that identity that comes from their family space. They also need that trusted adult, that confidant, that is one of their parents or both hopefully, Mm. that where they can say, I've come across something and I'm really not sure what it's about. Mm. Can you help me process this? The danger comes when we give devices to children that make them access the entire world and we give them no skills, no information, no value system, no confidence to be able to guide them through that world. Christina Namdo, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. It's really been quite a pleasure talking to you and an eye-opener too. She's a commissioner, a children's commissioner. She's based in the Western Cape. And uh, that conversation will be available as a podcast. That brings us to 2 o'clock. Let's go to Nedika Bukus for the latest in SABC News.